Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to the epistle of 1 John chapter 2. And we are returning to our study in 1 John tonight. It's been a good holiday season, and it's been good to look at some other things in the other parts of the Bible. But as I was telling Brother Dalton a few days ago, the holidays sort of get me out of my sink, uh, get me out of the pattern that that I'm in. And so sometimes it's hard for me to get back into the flow. Uh, So we're going to try to do that this evening. And we're looking uh, tonight in the third part of a study that we began way back on the 8th of December. And we're talking about a subject that's very appropriate for this age of apostasy that we're living in. Uh, I don't envy the apostles for the challenge that they had of trying to keep those churches straight in the first century. With all the difficulty of communications and the distances that they had to travel, it was very difficult to keep those churches on the right track. And one of the lessons that I have learned in pastoring a church is that you can't let problems stew for very long because If you do, the problems just get worse, and it seems harder and harder to get people turned around to get going in the right direction. So I don't envy the time that the apostles lived in because they had a great deal of difficulty in addressing problems. And that's the way we look at it from a human perspective. And if this depended on entirely upon us, we would be hopeless to maintain the faith. Uh, The enemy is too strong for us, and people are just too stubborn for this to be purely a human effort that we're involved in. And so that's why I am very thankful for these scriptures that we're studying tonight, because here we learn that this is not left in our hands. Uh, Saved people can be directed, and they can be taught properly because they have the Holy Spirit in them. And if you can't correct people and they don't respond properly to the Word of God, then that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is not there. You see, there's a common bond that exists between Christians no matter where you are in the world. And that common bond is the Holy Spirit of God that's inside of us. And he's taking all of us in the same direction. He doesn't lead people off in different directions. Uh, When we're following the Spirit, we'll all all go in, in the same way. And if you find somebody who claims to be a Christian and they are stubborn and they're contrary and they won't listen to what you tell them and preach to them, then you can be just about sure that their claim of Christianity is a false claim. Now, with that in mind, we want to go to our text verses here tonight in 1 John chapter 2. And beginning in verse number 18, John says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. 
These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now let me take just a few minutes as we get started tonight to reorient you to this passage. Uh, The difficulty that John is addressing is the claim of the false professors. And they say say that they are of Christ, they say that they are in the faith, and yet they hold doctrines that are wrong, their morality is suspect, their attitude is contrary to Christ. They claim that they're in the faith, but they really don't even know Christ. And John uses a word to describe them, and he's the only New Testament writer that uses this word. He calls them antichristos. That means against Christ. And we're all very familiar with the English term. The term is antichrist. And in the 18th verse, John tells them that in the last times, the antichrist will come. And we know from reading Revelation and from reading the Old Testament, from reading the teachings of Christ and reading from the Apostle Paul, there's coming a day when there is one person who's going to appear on the scene, and he is called the Antichrist, this one big Antichrist. And we're familiar with that, and John's readers were also familiar with this. There's a great falling away that's going to occur. The time of tribulation will come, and then this man of sin will be revealed who opposes God, exalts himself above God, and this one man is called the Antichrist. But in the 18th verse, John also says that before that person comes, that we can expect the appearance of Antichrist. This is what we dealt with in the first message, the appearance of Antichrist. And in these last days, there will be people who will make their false claims against Christ. They, They have a divisive spirit. They'll not hold to the doctrines of faith that were given by Christ and the apostles. They're selfish. They're unloving. They're not going to keep the commands of Christ. And the sad part about this is that they will infiltrate the church, speaking their lies and claiming that they're speaking the truth. Now, these are the people that John calls Antichrist, and there are many of them, which proves that in this part of Scripture, he's not talking about that one Antichrist that's going to come during the tribulation, but he's speaking of the time that we're living in right now, and there are people that possess the attitude of the Antichrist. They have his goal. Uh, Their objective is the same as his objective, which is, of course, the same as Satan's objective. The devil is the great adversary of God's people, and he has a variety of ways in which he attacks the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul called those the wiles of the devil, and they're the varied varied attacks that Satan uses. And as we examine uh, church history, we find that even though the names have changed, the places change, the faces change, times change, yet Satan's tactics remain the same because people still have the same wicked hearts. And so this is the greatest, one of the greatest problems that we face in Christianity today. It's the very same problem that John had, and that is the attack of Antichrist. We're facing this in our modern world today, and that's why this scripture is so pertinent to what we're studying, uh, or is so pertinent to the times in which we live. The perversions of doctrine that are out there are not really new perversions. 
And that's evidenced by reading the first chapter in 1 John. Uh, John was dealing with people that denied the incarnation, people who denied the virgin birth. They are people who denied the Trinity. And so they were constantly attacking these core doctrines of the Christian faith. Those attacks undermined the person and the work of Christ. And whenever you destroy those doctrines, you destroy the gospel of Christ. Now, the gospel is the full compendium of the Christian faith. It's everything that we believe. And so when you destroy the gospel, everything goes along with that. Everything, all the doctrines of the Christian faith go out when you destroy the gospel of Christ. Faith goes, grace goes, the church goes, the depravity of man goes, the need for regeneration, that goes, the cross goes. And you just keep adding them all up. Add up all these doctrines, all of them are destroyed when you attack the deity of Jesus Christ. And so the epistle of 1 John is pertinent to today's world because those are the very heresies that have fueled the rise of the cults in America. The fastest growing cults all have this in common. They deny that Jesus Christ is eternal God and that he's one with the Father. And that's the essence of John's doctrinal statements in this part of the Scripture. In verses 22 and 23, he says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Now, the importance of those statements is that you cannot know God unless you know Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe the truth about him, then you're not going to have the truth about God because God is realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Satan knows that, and so his attacks are often focused directly at things such as Trinitarian doctrine. Now, we're going to see that again when we get over into chapter 5. In the seventh verse of chapter 5, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And that verse is a source of endless controversy, so much so that it's forced out of many of the Bible, uh, Bible translations. And so that attack goes on and on. It keeps being revived in history from the controversy, uh, the Arian controversy in the fourth century, and to the rise of the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons in the 19th century, Satan's same old heresies keep getting recycled. And so those who teach these false doctrines are antichrist. They're not Christians. Now, unfortunately, they're swimming in the mainstream of Christianity, and that's because people today know less and less about the Bible. People are ignorant of the Word of God, and so they're easily led astray into these perversions. And this is the reason why we have to keep preaching the truth. Now, we're the ones, though, that are considered to be the divisive ones. We're we're accused of being uncharitable. Uh, Pastors like me are accused of hate speech. But it's nothing of the sort. It's the declaration of the whole counsel of God's word. And that's what was envisioned by Jude when he said that we must earnestly contend for the faith. It was envisioned by Paul when he said, fight the good fight of faith. And it was envisioned by Peter when he said that I want to stir you up to remember what Christ and the apostles have said. And what did Christ say? Well, one of the things he said was, think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And so these are times that we must contend for the faith. This is not a time for curly-headed, toothy grins. 
this is a battle that we're in. It's a conflict against Satan. We're fighting against those that are antichrist, that are attacking the Word of God. And if we don't fight for the gospel, we're not going to have anything left to fight for. Even now, there are many antichrists. Well, that kind of catches you up on where we are right now. Uh, People are being led astray. Antichrists have appeared. They're all around us, and they're on the attack. So what are we going to do about it? How do we fight this? Well, we need to understand, thirdly, that God has given us the antidote for Antichrist. We don't fight the battle alone. In the 20th verse, John says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Ye have an unction. What does that mean? Well, if you look down at verse number 27, it'll help you to understand it better. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Unction and anointing are actually the same word. And the anointing is the Holy Spirit that lives inside every Christian. The anointing teaches us. The anointing, the Holy Spirit inside of us, helps us to discern between truth and error. So the antidote for Antichrist is, first of all, the anointing of the Spirit. Now let's talk about that for a few minutes because this is a doctrine that really does need to be clarified and taught in the right way. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is received by every Christian when they put their faith in Christ. And it's really not any different than if I were to say it this way. It's the same thing as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And as a Christian, you get that at the moment that you trust Christ as Savior. But there are many people who believe that the anointing of the Spirit is actually a second work of grace... It's something that you received after you've trusted Christ. It's really a different work of sanctification. And most notably, according to the charismatics, a second work of grace or getting the anointing of the Holy Spirit is what enables you to speak in tongues. And the evidence that you have received this special anointing is the speaking in tongues. Now, I don't have time tonight to go into this whole argument about whether tongues are scriptural for today. I'll give you the short answer to it. They're not. Uh, they, they were given in the first century uh, as a validation of the gospel of Christ, and they were used for the rapid expansion of the gospel, but we don't need them today. It's not for believers today. We have the completed word of God, and that's fully sufficient that, uh, for, for everything that we need. It's fully sufficient for the conversions of sinners. And so the Bible does not teach that there are some Christians that only get a partial work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so they're waiting for something else, they're praying for something else, they're working for it, and God has some other gift that he wants to give, but he's withholding it. And whenever we reach that second level of spirituality, then we'll receive what God's been holding out. Well, there is no such thing taught in Scripture as multi-level Christianity. When you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. And these are the kinds of teachings that have led people into gross errors in which the Word of God is rejected for some better gift, some better revelation than what comes from the Scriptures alone. But the Scriptures are sufficient alone. And this anointing is received by all Christians when they put their faith in Christ. So the anointing is actually a description of the effect that the Holy Spirit has upon a believer. 
So how do you know that a Holy Spirit is really inside of a believer? Well, there's an effect that's produced. There's discernment of truth. There's a change in the attitude. There's commitment to the cause of Christ and to his commands. Or you could put it this way, as Jesus said, by their fruits ye shall know them. So the evidence of the Spirit's presence in a Christian's life is the fruit that's produced. And there are several scriptures that we could go to that tell us about fruits in, in a Christian's life, but probably the one that's easiest for us is in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, because there it describes fruits of the Spirit. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so the anointing is a a demonstration of the effect that the Holy Spirit has upon you. Now, the opposite of that, opposite of it, is expressed in the verses that precede this. In Galatians 5, 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now there in that list, you find the characteristics of Antichrist. And if you take a look at that, you'll find in the perversions of the charismatics, a lot of things in this list that define them. Their ministries are rife with dishonesty, their scandal, their strife, They sing about love, and they hold their hands up high, and while they do it, the ministers are picking their pockets. And I hate to make those kinds of generalizations, but uh, I I do know that there are some good, unsuspecting people among them. Uh, some, uh, Some of them just don't know any better, and they're looking for some kind of hope in that system. And some of their ministers are saddened by this, and they're very sincere. They're sad by what goes on in that movement. But that system is not going to lead anybody into a greater revelation of truth because eventually the, the, the undermining of truth, the misunderstanding of Scripture, will have Satan's desired effect. It's counterfeit Christianity, and counterfeit Christianity never leads to any good. Now, when you think about anointing, Uh, Most of us probably think of things like oil. We read in the Old Testament about anointing with oil. Uh, That was used especially in the consecration of a person to his office. Kings were anointed with oil. Prophets were anointed with oil. And that was a symbolic gesture that showed that they were consecrated to God and, and that now that they were ready to assume the duties of their office. And so we find this in the Old Testament in the... Uh, tabernacle and the temple, but it doesn't mean that we, that we are supposed to anoint people with oil today. Putting oil on somebody does not confer any grace upon them. It doesn't make them any better equipped to do the job that they've been called to do. It doesn't give them any power that they didn't have before. It's simply a symbolic gesture. Gesture. So we don't want to make more of the practice than that was intended. It's symbolic. It's It's a custom of those people in those times, not a holy rite. So the oil, though, was a symbol of consecration, and it said that a person was sanctified by God and that the Spirit was demonstrated in that person's life. And so we go back to temple and tabernacle worship, and we find that the oil that was used there symbolized the Holy Spirit. I have a picture for you tonight of, of a priest that's pouring oil into the bowls in the golden candlestick. And that oil was used as the fuel for the fire. 
And the burning oil gave off light that lighted the inside of the tabernacle. And there are some really great symbolic meanings that are found in this. Uh, The only light in the tabernacle was this candlestick. There weren't any windows there. The only light that would light the entire place was the light that came from this candlestick. And that shows us that Jesus is the light of the world. That speaks about him. And the only light that we have is what comes from Jesus Christ. And, and the only way that you could ever see Christ, understand who Christ is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the fuel for this light is the Holy Spirit. He's the enabling spirit. And so when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, what do you think is going to happen? The light of Christ is going to shine from you. The light of Christ will be evident in you. You'll have the effects of the Spirit in you. And if you don't have the effects, then the person is not a Christian. An antichrist will never consistently show the fruits of the Spirit. So that's first. Uh, The Holy Spirit indwells the Christian, and his presence will always be apparent. You see, a Christian may not have a whole lot of natural ability. You may not be highly educated, but a Holy Spirit-filled person can understand truth. And when you give him truth, because he has the anointing of the Spirit, he can understand it. And nobody's going to understand God without it. Let me just give you a quick illustration of this. Uh, There were two very prominent men that were Puritans in the 17th century, and there were many, many prominent ones, but two that I'm thinking of that stand out... And one of the most illustrious, brilliant men of the 16th, 17th century Puritans was John Owen. He's a very highly educated man. Uh, if you ever get a chance to read something that was written by him, you're going to be wading in very deep waters. There was another man at that time, and his name was John Bunyan. And he didn't have John Owen's education. He was a poor Baptist preacher who spent most of his time in prison for preaching the Word of God. But do you know who John Owen went to hear preach? He was often found going to listen to John Bunyan preach, the man who wasn't educated, but a man who was filled with the Spirit. And John Bunyan is the one who gave us those amazing books, Pilgrim's Progress, The Holy War, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And his favorite preacher, John Owen's favorite preacher, was John Bunyan. And that just shows us that when the Holy Spirit is in you, you don't have to worry about what kind of secular education that you have. Don't worry about that, because when you're taught the Scriptures, when you're you're given truth, you can understand it, because you have this unction. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit that leads you into truth. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul uh, deals with in, in 1 Corinthians when he talks about the wisdom of the world. The world by wisdom knew not God. The only way you're going to know God is by the Holy Spirit's direction, by what he shows you, by what he reveals to you. Now, secondly, as an antidote to Antichrist, there's the abiding of Scripture. Now, the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Word of God. And this is one of the terrible errors of the charismatics. It's the emphasis that they put on the subjective work of the Spirit without the objective presence of the Word. And whenever you place the wrong emphasis on the Spirit, on the sign gifts and all of these things that they like to emphasize, you have a tendency to minimize the importance of Scripture. Now, if you look at verse number 27 again, the charismatics misinterpret this Scripture. 
John says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now the misinterpretation that they put on this scripture is that the Holy Spirit is in you, and so you don't really need any instruction from the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is going to tell you everything that you need to know. And so the charismatics rely upon the subjective revelation of the Holy Spirit. And there's no way that you and I can verify anything with them because they don't have any objective standard. All they say is, well, the Holy Spirit told me this. The Holy Spirit told me something. And I've heard them in their preaching stop in the middle of the preaching and say, hold on just a minute. I'm receiving a word of knowledge. And what follows that is some gibberish, some nonsensical uh, things that they say, speaking in tongues. And so the Bible becomes subjective to their experience. Or I should say the Bible becomes secondary to their subjective experience. This is not what John means in verse number 27. How do we know it's not what he means? I mean, it looks like that's what he's saying. He's, is he saying this? You don't really need anything but a direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. Well, that can't be the meaning because we have multitudes of Scripture that tell us that we need the instruction of God's Word. We can go to the Old Testament and, and we can see how Moses instructed Israel to, to consistently teach their children. And he said to bind the Word of God upon them. The Psalms are filled with, with different verses about the importance of the precepts of the Word. The 119th Psalm especially has many of these references like verse number 105 which says that the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. David said that he had to hide God's word in his heart that he might not sin against God. And so it's no wonder that you find immorality among the leaders of the charismatic movement. They don't regard the word. They have this subjective revelation, so they don't really have anything that's going to protect them from sin. So we have those references, but we also have the New Testament, and it constantly emphasizes instruction in the word. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so do you need instruction from God's word? Well, Paul says that you can't be equipped for the work of Christ without it. He says you can't edify the body of Christ without it. So John's not going to contradict these, these multitudes of passages. And so we have to look for another meaning that's going to be consistent with all the rest of the Word of God. And what is John doing here? He's writing to give them instruction. And how, how ludicrous would it be for him to say, well, I'm writing this to instruct you that you don't really need instruction. Well, the only reasonable interpretation is that we don't need anyone to teach us anything other than what we have received in the Word of God. The Bible is the objective, unchanging standard. And so if you bring me something that's not in the Bible, then I have an antidote against your false doctrine. If the Bible does not support what you say, then the teaching is false. Now, you get the picture why there must be a Book of Mormons, a Book of Mormon, rather, that the Mormons call another testament of Jesus Christ. 
And they had the doctrines and the covenants that they say were received from their prophets. It's why you have the watchtower of the Jehovah Witnesses, which they believe is more authoritative than Scripture. It's why you have uh, the Seventh-day Adventists who claim that the writings of Ellen G. White are also inspired, and why the Christian scientists revere the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. You see, if your doctrine doesn't match up with what's written in the sacred revelation of the Word of God, then you've got to have something else. And so when John writes about this, he is actually dealing with Gnostics who claim the very same thing. They said, we have more revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a superior revelation. And indeed, you can find out now, you can go still uh, find these ancient books that they wrote that some people are confused about and think that they're Scripture. And so they, they say, we have another truth. And whether it's the other revelations that the Mormons have or the Charismatics have, the antidote for all of that is the unchangeable words of Scripture. Now go back to verse 21. He says, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. And that's about as simple and logical statement as can be made. If something contradicts the truth, it's a lie. Does anybody want to argue that point? Truth can't be a lie, and a lie can't be truth. Truth is a lie detector. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. And so if there's anything that contradicts the, the scriptures, the holy scriptures, then it's a lie. And so when Mormonism says that Jesus and Satan are gods that are cut out of the same cloth, that's a lie. And when the Jehovah Witness writes that in his translation of scripture in John 1, 1, that Jesus Christ was a God, but he's not eternal God and he's not one with the Father, then it's a lie. When anybody denies the virgin birth, it's a lie. And you can keep going down that list of doctrines and you'll find lies piled on top of lies that are told by these, by these cults. So the antidote against Antichrist is the truth of the Bible. Scripture always abides faithful. It's constant. It is the objective truth that is unchanging for all time. Well, then what, what prevents us from, from saying, well, yes, the Bible is truth, that, that's right, but God is revealing new truth today. Or God revealed new truth to Joseph Smith. Well, the Scriptures tell us that this can't be so. Paul said that the church, in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The foundation is the apostle, apostles and the prophets. Christ is the chief cornerstone, and you cannot relay that foundation. I mean, the apostles are unique in this in that they received their word directly from Jesus Christ and also from the Holy Spirit. And they continually repeat this, that anything that was not received by them and given to us cannot be truth. How definitive is this statement that Peter makes in 1 Peter chapter 1? He says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love to the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible by the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. You have purified your souls by obeying the truth. And then he says, you are born again by the incorruptible word of God that lives and abides forever. And there you don't have an inch of ground for any other revelation than what we have received in the Holy Scriptures. Anything beyond that that doesn't concur with this one revelation is not the truth. It is a lie. 
And so we see here that one or the other has to go. If the Mormon wants to have his other testament of Jesus Christ, which he calls the Book of Mormon, then he has to give up the New Testament. And if the Jehovah Witness wants to have his watchtower, which he says is equal to Scripture, then he's going to have to give up the Bible. You can't have both. The Scriptures do not allow themselves to be used in conjunction with any other source of supposed revelation. But you notice something, that when a Mormon comes to your door, that he wants to leave you a copy of the King James Version of the Bible? You know why? Because he first seeks to establish some sort of legitimacy. And then when you're hooked by that, then you get Joseph Smith and all the other heresies that they teach. Did you know John warned about this in the second letter? He says, if they're coming to you, if there are any coming to you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, nor bid him Godspeed. And so if somebody comes with a, a lie that doesn't match up with Scripture, they're Antichrist. And the antidote for Antichrist is the infallible, unchanging, infallible, unchanging Word of God that abides forever. Now finally, and we'll end with this, is the anger against Antichrist. Recently, I listened to a part of discussion that John MacArthur had on the subject of the knowledge of the true God. And he was speaking about how that nobody will challenge these strange aberrations of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teachers. And MacArthur was very plain about this. He said that those who teach such things are crooks. He said they're charlatans and they're liars. But then he said, you can't go on Christian radio and TV and say that. These people are buying up the airtime. They're, they're buying airtime. You're not going to be able to go on the same station where they're teaching and call them liars. They're not going to let you do that. And so it's almost impossible to challenge them in the same medium in which they're in. Now, the point that I want to make here about this is that you cannot sit around with heretics and be nice. John the Baptist confronted the crowds that came to be baptized In Luke chapter 3, Then said he unto the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus raked the scribes and the Pharisees by calling them tombs full of dead men's bones. Paul called false teachers, or rather Peter did, called false teachers dogs that have returned to their own vomit. Peter and Jude both called them brute beasts, And Peter said, they're made to be taken and destroyed. Well, that sounds like angry words, doesn't it? They didn't sit around with the heretics and compliment them and make nice with them and say like so many people do today, oh, oh, the tent of Christianity is big enough for all of us. I realize there's a balancing act that has to be done with these people. I realize this. We're not to be personally offensive to anyone But when it comes to the truth of the gospel and the lies that other people teach and the damnable doctrines that send people to hell, you've got to have somebody that calls them crooks and cheats and charlatans and liars. Somebody's got to do that. We're not to accommodate all these other points of view. We're not to allow for a moment that all these false doctrines are equally valid with our own. And that's why John is direct enough to call these people antichrist and call them liars and say that they don't have Jesus Christ and they don't have the Father. And if that sounds too negative to you, so be it. See, the religious airwaves today are filled with mealy-mouthed pussyfooters that wear lace on their underwear, 
But we're to be men of God. We're to stand up for the truth. We're to fight for the truth. And you can let the other preachers, they can play Barbie and Ken. We're going to stand up for the truth of God's word. We're not going to compromise. And that doesn't mean that we're angry with people. It doesn't mean that we hate them. It means that we hate the attitude of Antichrist. Truth has to be preached, and we're going to stick with the truth that's once delivered to the saints. So we'll end right there. We should be alarmed at Antichrist, and we need to sound the alarm out here at Berean Baptist Church. We need to be a beacon of truth because without the truth, people die and go to hell. It's that serious. That's why we've got to stand on God's word and God's word alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we have to spend in your word tonight. And, and Lord, uh, we, we believe that we're teaching the truth of your word, and we want to stick close to the Bible. And this is our only source of teaching material. This is all that we want to tell people is what you've said in your word. Help us to do that, Lord, and help us to have a right spirit as we do it, but yet not to compromise in any way, shape, or form the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and these many, many things that we read in your word. Bless our people tonight, Lord. Help us all to contend for the faith as you've told us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.